Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of the United States where I am sitting on the phone together with Bishop Williams. Bishop Anthony Williams, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to be with you on today. Amen. Where are you at right now? I'm down in the Mississippi Delta in Indianola, Mississippi. I I was thinking I was hoping that you were in uh in California during the time that I was there but we had just missed each other. So I I didn't know if you had made your way back to California or not, but you are still in the Mississippi Delta. Yes sir, still in the Mississippi Delta. <laughs> Well, it's really good to hear your voice. Um, I just wanted to bring you on to the Back to Jerusalem podcast because um, there were there's there's a couple things within our Bible study um, that we have just put out uh, called Chasing Revival, where we spent the last six years kind of following the history of revival. And there's uh, there are a couple subjects that kind of come up that are. Um, that are a bit challenging, uh, at things that I didn't know, things that were completely new for me. And, uh, I know that you have been a bishop. Uh, you've, you've pastored, uh, more than one congregation. You've, you've spent a lot of time with people in counseling. And so I, I thought that you could be somebody that I could talk to on the subject of homosexuality and what it has done to the Christian church. Um, one of one of the reasons just let me preface this for the audience because one of the reasons I want to bring it up is because I did not know that I would find what I found when I started the historical searchings for the revival that we see throughout history Christian revival until I found myself in the western part of Turkey and I was walking in the footsteps of Paul and um my myself and Stone, you know Stone, we were driving together in Turkey. Um, we were looking for a location that was not on a map. We were not taking like a touristy area uh, of, of Paul's footsteps. We were actually trying to follow them as they were. Um, and so we got in an area late at night without hotel rooms. We didn't book a hotel room because we didn't know where we would be. And so we didn't want to, we didn't want to lock ourselves into a reservation that we already paid for. And we were looking for a hotel, uh, one night. It was raining. We couldn't find one. And we ended up driving down the mountainside to a small little, uh, hostel by the beach. Wonderful place. Woke up the next morning and found out we were right outside of Assos within walking distance of this big cathedral where Paul actually spoke. And from that, place we could see lesbos which we actually see that paul went there and then when we started to learn about it we found out that there was a goddess there that was praised and worshiped and it's where we actually get the word lesbian is from lesbos island 
And we, it was then that we started to see that Paul's world, because I mean, from, I, 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 I've been a Christian since I've been 14. So I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, and so I kind of bought into the idea that homosexuality, as we're dealing with it today in today's society, is pretty new. And so I was, I, I, I might have never vocalized this, but I was under the impression that Paul, um, wrote against the sin of homosexuality, but he really didn't live in a society that accepted it. Um, not only did I find out that he was in a society that accepted it, he, he was in a society that made it a part of their religion and that to condemn it would be to condemn their very goddess. And that is something that you could be killed for. Um, with that being said and starting, um, I just wanted to get your ideas, you being a pastor in modern day America, um, you, I'm assuming having counseled people within your church, um, having come across individuals, maybe even in your family that might be homosexual, what has kind of been your, uh, anchor in the Bible to guide and lead your understanding of how Christians um, are to deal with the subject of homosexuality. Welcome to the program. We just dove right in, deep into the waters. <laughs> no, no warning. Uh, if I were to restate your question, you want to know what guided me in my... Um, Yes, I mean um, when 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 you are when you are sitting face, uh, first of all have have you ever counseled anybody in your church or a family member or a friend that has been a homosexual or has uh dealt with homosexual tendencies has that ha, ha, have you had to deal with that before? Yes. Okay, and then what uh, modern modern day uh, Christian church is starting to drift, or at least when I when I use that term, I use it very loosely. Um, I'm I'm talking about those that are more friendly, maybe with mainstream media. But there there has been a movement within the church. Uh, for instance, I'm I'm in Boston right now. I'm going to be driving up to Burlington, uh, Vermont, where my son's at. There is a church on every corner. There are more churches in in Vermont uh, per population than what you would find in the South. However, the majority of those churches today, these are big, beautiful, like Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches. I mean, the, when, when the um, great awakening in the United States took place, um, you, a lot of it took place right here in the Northeast where people were just coming to, to God and these big numbers and they established churches and there was a loyal, um, a congregation that was very committed to the word of God. Today, those churches are decorated. I can drive from street to street to street, a church on every side. And I know people say within rock throwing distance, but literally I can stand on, uh, on the front porch of one church and hit another church with a rock. Um, and many of those churches, I would say maybe 30% of them have rainbow flags outside of them. 
So I, I don't know if you're seeing that in Mississippi, but we're definitely seeing it like in the northeast New England areas in the United States. I'm not seeing it with the underground church in China, and I would like to know from your perspective as a pastor who's actually had to sit across from somebody and, and counsel somebody and talk with somebody, what – what uh, because obviously you're reading the same Bible as they are. They're, right. You're looking at the same Bible as they are, and yet they're coming to different conclusions of whether homosexuality is a sin or not. So my question is, what has been your guiding factor? What what part of the Bible has led you to be where you're at? And where are you at? <laughs> All right. Um, I, I personally believe in the... Um, the, the the accuracy, the inerrancy of Scripture. I I believe uh, that God communicated uh, to us uh, what his his thoughts, what his views, what his um, expectations of his creation were in uh, the Holy Writ. I, I, I believe that. Emphatically, all right. Um, I believe in in the, the literacy uh, of the Word of God. So, from Genesis to Revelation, um, we can see God dealing with the issues of um, of homosexuality, whether He dealt with it directly or He dealt with it indirectly by stating um, what His uh, um, expectations were uh, in Genesis. We understand. We see. We see where God created a man, and then he said. Then God said, "Not Adam." But then God said, "It's not good for man to be alone." And God did not bring him another man. God brought him a woman. Interesting, huh? God didn't create him another man, another male, for companionship. He created him a female for companionship. Hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, indirectly, we can see at that point that God's uh, that God's will was for man and woman to uh, uh, live together in union. That was God's. Uh, uh, stated agenda that man and woman would dwell together, that woman was created for man, right? That the relationship, that a family structure would be that of a male and a female. That is clear, right? And then you go on down through uh, uh, through the uh, Torah and in and, and the five books of Moses, and you begin in Leviticus, etc. You begin to see God make His declarations regarding uh, uh, Deuteronomy, regarding man uh, uh, behavior, man's behavior, man's sexual uh, behavior, uh, uh, what God's expectations were, what was detestable to God, etc., etc. All the way down into where we are today. I think we're going to be looking at Romans. Chapter 1, am I right? Verses 26 and 27. 
Yeah, we can we can look at whatever uh, scriptures that you want to point to. I'm actually free and and open to look at what whatever uh, scriptures you you feel have been um, important to share when ministering to those that are dealing with this. One of the reasons why I wanted to specifically talk with you is because this seems to be a an issue in the West. In the Western Church. Um, but it is not one. So I'm often asked, how does the Chinese church feel about homosexuality? And so my response to them is usually it's not a thing. We, we, I've, you don't really encounter it in the Chinese house church. And if you ask the Chinese underground house church, they will tell you that scripture is very clear. And that's the end of discussion that, that, um, uh, it is labeled specifically as a sin that God created. And they would go just like you did to the creation of, of man and woman being both the reflection of God together. Um, and that, um, when we look at writings from Paul, not just in Romans, but also in Timothy, when he writes about those that practice, uh, immorality, sexual immorality is one of those things that is listed. And one of those things in sexual immorality is homosexuality. It's listed with slave traders, liars, and perjurers. So it's, it's, it, it's, it, it, for the Chinese, at least from their understanding, it seems to be very clear. And so I wanted to talk with you as an American bishop, as a pastor, um, what your uh, feeling is in regards to homosexuality. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring this up in one of our podcasts is because I did not, even though I live and work in China, even though I am from the U.S., even though um, I have been, I, I had a, been in your congregation, I still had not known the uh, the the, I guess the pervasiveness of homosexuality during the days of Paul. I didn't understand. I felt that we were very unique in 2018. That, um, <laughs> and, and I, I know that, I, I know that, um, uh, it, it feels a bit like something I should have looked into more now. But it wasn't until I stumbled across these, these ancient stories of Paul walking in his footsteps that I realized that not only did he deal with it, he dealt with it in a much stronger way than what we deal with it today in the church. Um, in the, in the way that it was a part of the culture and not only a part of the culture, it was a part of the religion. But what you will find, and, and I don't hear a lot of people, uh, uh, um, talk about this. I don't hear a lot of people actually explore this, but when we look at, when we look at what was going on, okay, let's go back to everybody. Everyone knows about. Sodom and Gomorrah, but what we're dealing with when we deal with Sodom and Gomorrah, we're, we're, we're still talking about, you know, uh, um, um, a few thousand years uh, ago, you know, uh, what, somewhere around, oh, t- uh, 2,000, 2,500 uh, BCE. Um, yeah, during, during the days of Abraham. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, so homosexuality... This is something that has not just come on the scene. It is a perversion, um, um, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna label it a Luciferian uh, diversion 
that he is using because he desires the enemy, Satan, he desires uh, uh, to destroy that which was made in the image of God. Now, Uh, as you as you are as you're talking and you bring up Sodom and Gomorrah, I think that that's a really interesting uh, part of the Bible that m- not a lot of people necessarily go to when they think of homosexuality. However, yeah, that, that, that they want to say that <laughs> I've actually heard this that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah happened because the people were inhospitable <laughs> to the, to the angels that came. Listen, God hasn't destroyed anything, anything in recorded history because of inhos- people being inhospitable. Amen. Well, I, I, I have to, I have to say, um, Bishop, if I was visiting Sodom and Gomorrah, and um, and the men of the city came to the house that I was visiting and banged on the door, demanded that I be released out to them so that I could be gang raped, um, I would consider that to be. Inhospitable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they they were so bold in their own desires and satisfying their own desires that they demanded that these visitors that they saw be handed over so that they could have their way. And um, in that story, one of the things that I find interesting is that Lot had been so tainted by that city that his first idea of protecting the, these two guests was to give up his own daughters. I mean, that is some perversion um, that, I, I mean, uh, yeah. So I, I, I think that 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 whole scenario of showing um, that homosexuality at least goes back to that point. And it, and it was – one that I, a point that I want to get to later, which is it victimized. It, 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 there was a victimization that took place. And in 2018, at least from my point of view, um, I have always looked at the homosexual community, um, as victims and, um, and, and not wanting to persecute and not wanting, and I still stay in that place where I don't want to persecute or attack or in, in any way, uh, verbally or, or physically attack. But I've always considered the homosexual community to be more of victims. But as I read through not just the Bible history and what you and I are talking about right now with Sodom and Gomorrah, but also walking in the footsteps of Paul, I found that others that were the 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 i guess the people that w- were um <laughs> to put it delicately they the the individuals that were idolized or the people that that were that they were passionate about the homosexuals were passionate about they were the ones that actually became the victims mm. yeah the, the, the point that I was uh, gravitating toward and my reason for bringing up Sodom and Gomorrah was this, that homosexuality, as we know it, is a behavior and a conduct, but it had become something that had be- became um, legitimized by the government of Sodom and Gomorrah. It had become something that was institutionalized Okay, by 
not just not just society, but the government. This is the the the, the problem, and I, and I want you to check this out. This is the problem that happened with Rome, is that homosexuality had become a mainstay. It had become just as acceptable, in, in your words, it had become just as, as acceptable as uh, heterosexuality. And it was promoted and prodded. Uh, it was also something that was uh, uh, perpetuated by uh, the mainstream, by the government. Many of the Caesars and, and uh, 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 the senators, I mean, this thing had become, it, it was the norm. Homosexuality was the norm. And I think that the, the commonality between Sodom and Gomorrah and Rome is that, one, neither one of those nations was destroyed by any other nation. Two, they were destroyed from within. Of course, with Sodom, uh, uh, its behavior and its acceptance of homosexuality and promotion of homosexuality led to a destruction of which the judgment of God would fall upon it. But I believe that God's judgment against a, a nation, against a city, against a state, when homosexuality becomes uh, um, um, something that is promoted by the government, such as in the United States, where now we are uh, um, giving credence to same-sex marriages. I think we are on very dangerous ground now, because when you see God's judgment against Sodom, you see God's judgment that came on Rome. Both of those, you see where homosexuality had become something that the government itself, the state itself, promoted and accepted. That is scary. You know, um, what you are talking about with the Roman government um, endorsing, adopting uh, Roman officials, <clears throat> I think I had heard that before. I'm not going to say that I've never heard that before, but I don't think I'd ever looked at it. But as I was looking at the very Roman emperor that was persecuting Christians during the days of Paul and including Paul, um, I come across Nero, who's probably one of the most notorious um, Roman emperors. And in, in my search of Nero, and I was not looking for this, but I, I found it. What he did um, blew my mind when I saw that uh, he saw a young boy that he liked. So he had him castrated, dressed him up like a girl, and then married him in public. He then also found a man that he loved. So he married this man, and Nero himself dressed up like the woman, and the two of them married in a public ceremony. Wow. I had never heard that before. Um, as I started to trace the footsteps of the Christian slaves that were taken by Nero, many of them were strapped to um, – um, 
posts outside in his yard and set a fire at night so that they would light up his garden or as the story goes. And I knew about this. I had visited Rome more than once, and so I I remember hearing about this. But not until I looked out and looked into it more deeply did I find that. He actually – Nero would take young boys and supply them to his aristocrat friends and they would use them and abuse them until they were done with them and then they would throw them off of a cliff and kill them and then bring in a new supply. So this was a part of their celebration. This was a part of their religion. As I started to learn about the soldiers that were used by Nero to persecute Christians, I come across the Temple of Zeus. And how males had to penetrate another male to show their their masculinity in order to do certain service to Zeus and that Zeus himself um, fancied other men. I did not know this. Uh, this – you know, I, I – it was I, – I guess I have always been or operated under the assumption that democracies and republics are very – um, um, civilized societies and that we as in, in America living in a republic um, are a civilized society because of our republic and we, we adopt this from the Greeks who are, who were very civilized. But when I start to look deeper into it, I find that they were extremely brutal. It was not a society that I would want to live in and that Christianity coming from the, the growth underground began to change it uh, and, and change the society into what we now have today, not as a direct result of inheriting democracy in the West from Greek, the Greek society, but in fact being transformed with certain ideas of Christian Jude- Judaic teachings that uh, make our society – much better to live in as a weaker person. I am much less likely to be victimized if I'm a woman or a child uh, in a Christian Judaic society than I would be in the Greek society, or at least that's what I – so I, I, I found that when I was looking at day 31 for um, our Chasing Revival series, and uh, uh, it was it was one of those parts of of the the Bible study series that I hesitated to put it in because I felt well this gets into social um, arguments and not really the concept of revival. But I I would argue that revival brought about changes that transformed individuals that lived in societies and may have even had homosexual tendencies or desires themselves. What say Absolutely. you, Bishop? Absolutely. The, 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 one, the one thing about the power of the gospel is that it transforms. It brings about change. And the power of the gospel is also fueled, I believe, by the power of love. Amen. The love of God, you know, when, 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 when God sends us, and, and this is something that is, is, is tremendous, when God sends us into... Uh, uh, let's say, into some of the uh, remote areas where the gospel has never been, the nev- has never been preached. And um, maybe uh, uh, cannibalism is, 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 you know, is still a part of those societies. We don't, you know, Christ don't send us in there with guns. He doesn't send us in there to forcibly, uh, uh, through violence, 
change a culture, but it's through love we go in and we change a culture. You know, no matter where we go, even when God sent sent Paul and sent others uh, that took the gospel into into places. Oh, you know, we're talking about Rome. We're talking about Rome, but you know, even the Assyrian Empire, when God sent sent you know the men men of God and, and the people of God into the Assyrian Empire, man, they went in there. They went in there with the with the the love of Jehovah. They went in there with the the power of of, of Yahweh, not with with violence to overthrow through violence. You know, that's the power of the gospel. And when we went into Rome, yeah, many were taken in, you know, uh, um, 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 violently by the Romans uh, to kill them or to use them, to abuse them or whatever, you know, to, to use them as sport in the arenas. But wherever we've gone, wherever we've been taken, it is the power of the love of, the, of God that has brought about transformation and change. Amen. The love of God. So when um, when you are spending time one on one with someone that is dealing with this, what what are some of the things that you are sharing together with them? Because uh, I'm assuming that l- you are you are ministering in love. I minister in love, but love is not blind. Love is not blind, and love is love is not timid, and uh, uh, love is not weak. You know. Um, First, with any person, with any individual, if they don't know that what they're doing is wrong, they will continue to do what they're doing because they don't have anything to compare it with. You know, if if what I'm doing is all I know, if I'm if I've been homosexual, and that's all that I know, and that's all that I've ever done, and nobody has ever told me that that this is a violation, that I'm violating my own body and I'm violating the laws of God. I'll never know that. And the Bible puts it this way, that before there was a law, there was no sin. Until the law came, there was no sin, the Scripture says. And so God would bring the Word and He brought the law so that men would understand what is required of them. And so I can't you know, in, in in any good conscience, try to minister to someone um, without showing them that which is righteous, that which is ordained of God. Now, once you know what is ordained of God, what God requires and expects, then you can see that if I'm not doing that, then I'm in violation. The problem that I see with Christianity and many uh, Christians and, and many of the uh, um, works of ministries that are going on today is is that we we attempt, if you pardon my analogy, we we attempt to take take the hog out of the pig pen and put perfume on him and think that the perfume is going to make him smell better, you know. The hog got to come out of the pig pen and it's got to be cleaned up, got to be washed off, you know. And then we've got to shut the gate to that pig pen. Otherwise, he's just going to go right back and waddle in the mud, you know, until people realize and see that where they are 
is not where God wants them to be. They'll never get out of it. And so I, I, I come from that standpoint, and I minister to people from that standpoint of, okay, listen, I know what I know what our our judicial system is saying. I know what the laws of the land are stating, but the laws of the land are in contradiction to the laws of God. Now we need to realize what is the higher authority. Is it the laws of the land or the laws of God? Which law supersedes which? The Bible teaches us to fear not men who cannot destroy the body or can destroy the body, but rather fear God who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell's fires. So I've, I've got to realize that, yeah, what people can do, yeah, that if I violate man's law, they can incarcerate me. Yeah, I, if I violate man's law, uh, uh, there are penalties that I must pay, but none of those have any bearing on my eternal destiny. God controls that. And so am I going to feel what they do? Or am I going to feel what God does? And, uh, and until a person can come to realize and then elevate where they are to respect the laws of God more than the laws of men and understand that we all will have to give an account of the deeds done in our body, in our flesh, before God. Until people can realize and see that, they'll continue to do what they do uh, without fear or reverence uh, toward God. And so I feel like that is, um, for me, the most important thing, to bring a person to, to the realization and to understand that they will have to give an account to God and that God's law is greater than the laws of man. And if we violate God's law, there is an eternal weight of um, of judgment for that. That takes so us over the half-hour mark. Um, thank you so much, Bishop. I really appreciate it. One of the reasons I wanted to bring you on is because I knew that you would be able to explain um, – the, the the teachings of the Bible in a unique way. This, I believe, is going to be a subject when people start going through the Bible study of the Chasing Revival. This will be a chapter that will cause a bit of um, uneasiness, and probably um, there there might even be an argument breaking out in the uh, in the Bible study itself. And I just want to encourage. Um, those that are going through the Chasing Revival series um, that get to this part, uh, I wanted to encourage them and also give them some some additional information to help them um, understand what it is that they're looking at in both history and in Scripture. So thank you so much, Bishop. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, and I hope that uh, we've added some sense of clarity, amen, <laughs> along those lines. That's my hope, but I'm not betting my life on it. Thank you so much, Bishop. I really appreciate it, brother. God bless you in the Delta of Mississippi. Thank you. God bless you too. Bye bye. Okay. Well, I I real one of the reasons I went to my bishop is because this is one of the hardest subjects I think that many Christians deal with because there is a desire to want to be loving. And Bishop put it beautifully when he talked about his idea of love when sharing the, the word of God from a loving perspective. And I hope that this can be a source of information for you. It's, it's not riddled with a lot of 
answers per se, but I hope that it can help lead you down the right direction as you begin to unpack this Chasing Revival Bible Study series. I want to thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach on a very sensitive subject, but we did not go nicely. We dove right into it. I'm so glad you joined us for that. Thank you so much and God bless you. Thank you.